2: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so that organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Barris Sage Institute colleague Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we have our second interview with Professor Baruch Love. Ed, how's it going? Ron, it's
3: going great. The uh, birthday continue to run runs in. We we were together for my birthday in, in uh, Dallas here on, on Tuesday and my wife's birthday is today. So we just it's got today. back from lunch and we're going to dinner. So.
2: Oh, right on. It'll be a well, happy lovely birthday, day. Christine. That's great. No, it was and a wonderful we get a birthday trip.
3: present getting to talk to Professor Lev. So I'm pretty excited about that as well.
2: Me too. Let me read his bio, even though he needs no introduction to our listeners. But Baruch Lev is the Philip bards professor of accounting and finance at new york university stern school of business we just learned that before we went live that he uh recently retired professor love teaches courses in accounting or taught courses in accounting financial analysis investor relationship uh, relations and uh, he's the author of five books including the end of accounting which was published in 2016 and we had him on right after that book came out in july 2016 episode number 101 professor lev welcome back to the soul of enterprise
1: thank you happy to be here
2: you know in the end of accounting when i read that you dropped a bombshell statistic and i i still it still rattles my cage that indicates that today's financial reports provide a trifling five to six percent of the information relevant to and used by investors how what what, what's what been the profession's reaction to the book, The End of Accounting?
1: Perhaps I'll take one minute to quickly recap the book for those sure. listeners who are unfamiliar with it or maybe forgot it over the last uh, five years. So in the book, uh, we provide, uh, my co-author Feng Gu and myself, we provide very extensive empirical evidence, hard fact evidence. It's not our supposition. It's not surveys of investors. It's advanced statistical analysis of basically all U.S. public uh, companies. And we show from several perspectives, uh, which all come nicely together, we show that the relevance, the usefulness, the information content of uh, financial reports, whether quarterly or en- annually, has been going down over the last decades significantly and quite fast. And right now, uh, they provide hardly any useful information to uh, investors. So we prove it statistically. We then provide reasons for it, and two of the the major reasons are the treatment of intangible assets, which are now, uh, in the last two, three quarters, the main value drivers of of a company, not just high-tech, all companies, uh, the, 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 the this, obs- this uh, out-of-date treatment of these investments as regular expenses like salaries and rent, uh, this is one of the reasons for the decrease. And the second reason is this obsession of uh, accounting regulators, Financial Accounting Standards Board and IFRS outside the United States with uh, fair value accounting, which introduces into accounting increasingly uh, estimates, uh, guess, estimates, really, things that cannot be estimated, uh, increases the uncertainty of a financial report. So the, the end product is really not very useful. Uh, I would even say almost useless for most uh, uh, investors. So, you asked me about about the profession's uh, reaction to uh, this book. Uh, There are, of course, many professions. That's what makes accounting so interesting. Accounting interfaces with with accountants, public accountants, CPAs, it interfaces with investors, with CFOs, with many others. But you probably had in mind uh, accountants. Uh, they were very intrigued by the book, very interested, I must say, seriously interested. I uh, met with uh, high-level executives of all the four uh, leading accounting uh, firms, long meetings. My message to them was a very simple message. Uh, I told them, I know that you try your best to improve auditing of uh, of uh, public uh, firms but irrespective of all the improvements that you make on all the in-house training that you give to your employees uh, it's really useless what you do and it will become increasingly useless because you are you are certifying a product which people don't use it's like the FDA certifying, approving uh, a drug that no one is going to use because there are much better alternatives in the market. It's, it's, it's essentially a waste of, uh, of uh, time. Uh, surprisingly, I didn't get uh, serious arguments and no one got up and left the meeting <laughs> uh, because of this uh but also not very surprising nothing came out of these uh meetings uh the most serious uh engagement i had was with uh, ian Y. Ansel Young in in london and i flew many times there this is pre covid uh uh, we really set up set up a whole project with. Uh, they assigned several partners. They took it very seriously. Of financial reporting of the future, we tried to come up with a model of financial reporting of uh, the future. Then we met with uh, British uh, uh, CEOs. Uh, it was it was quite hopeful, uh, and but then this also died. And I heard from uh, some of them that uh, there was quite an antagonism within the firm to this kind of, of mm-hmm. an attempt. Some said simply, uh, we don't get any billable hours from, from <laughs> this uh, project. Some said, uh, we really shouldn't fight with, uh, with uh, accounting regulators. We should maybe advise them, but, but uh, follow what they do. So there was antagonism, and finally they, they abandoned uh, the whole thing. Uh, so despite the fact that I didn't get much argument about the, the uselessness of the product or financial report, uh, from, from uh, accountants, uh, I, I didn't see any action. I want to say uh, very quickly that uh, some of the listeners may find it uh, extreme saying that the product is not very useful or useless financial reports. After all, you get documents of 250 pages full with numbers uh, things like this, but uh, lots of stuff is not just uh, ours showed it, but I want to give you one, one, very neat example of a study, which was done by two leading uh, leading finance uh, uh, scholars. They looked at downloads from EDGAR's system. Uh, As you know, all U.S. public companies have to file their reports quarterly, annually, uh, with the SEC through the EDGAR system. You cannot just mail the report to the SEC. And uh, and EDGAR, the SEC, makes it immediately uh, publicly available. Uh, EDGAR is a very sophisticated system. You can have all kinds of pattern recognition and search possibilities. So lots and lots of people go to EDGAR to get an immediate look at the financial report. Some, Some would say this is the main source. So these two finance scholars looked at how many downloads an average public company gets on Edgar on the day of publication and the following day, which most people will go very quickly. And the result is one of the most astounding I've seen uh, in recent years. It's 28.4 which means that you get from this major source of financial report, only 28 people downloaded. And as we all know, downloading doesn't mean that you you read it. I download everything and I read maybe 5% of what I, I download. Uh, You know, uh, uh, recently in a conference, I mentioned it, and someone said, Professor, uh, you you have a mistake. I said, what? He said, you you mean to say not 28.4, you mean to say 28.4K, 1,000. I said, no, 28.4. There are more people working for the FASB than reading financial reports uh there so so these are these are facts that i'm talking about not uh, some kind of you know my my hallucinations
2: yeah uh-huh. you, you know de- like you say download doesn't mean they read it and i would add it also even if they did read it doesn't mean they understood it yes <laughs> um what about, did you have a chance to talk? Did any accounting regulators approach you, like the SEC or maybe the European Union or other regulators of accounting?
1: Uh, I, I in, in conferences, I presented it, uh, and I was either succeeded or preceded by people uh, from the FASB. Uh, they they completely, completely... Uh, uh, somehow object uh, to this, uh, they say we, we have our own data, uh, we, we have uh, discussion groups with investors, they say it's very useful. Uh, I said, you have you have any evidence? You know, I showed you evidence. you have any evidence that people actually uh, use this thing? I just say, sure, you know, everyone knows that when companies uh, publish earnings, earnings move markets and uh, this is a myth earnings don't move markets uh, if you look carefully at, at this and most people don't know it 40 percent, 40 of all u.s public companies provide with earnings guidance with respect to the future If you look at the price movement, the price movement, and several studies, including mine, have shown it, that the price moves according to the guidance. That's the the new information that investors are really looking for. So superficially, you you look at earnings, and you see the price moves, and you say, earnings are very useful, but it's not earnings. In most cases, it's what comes with uh, uh, earnings, uh, so, uh, so from from regulators, uh, they, are, they are sometimes offended, they are sometimes this, they are sometimes that. Uh, I didn't get anything uh, useful. I got lots of useful things from investors. Uh, there is no doubt that there is uh, the book had a, a significant impact on uh, investors, particularly the intangibles part of it. Adjustments to intangibles. And if you want, I can I can talk about a specific example that that really made a huge impact on investors.
2: Yeah, maybe uh, when Ed comes on, you can he'll ask you about that. We're, yeah. Unfortunately, we're at our first break. And folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, you can send an email to ask TSOE at Verisage.com. We'd like to welcome our new sponsor file. They do expense reporting right, so have a listen to them. And we'd also like to make sure that you go out to patreon.com slash TSOE and think about becoming a member. We'd really appreciate that. You get some extra bonuses. At a certain tier, you get a shout-out like Mark Gandy does. Mark Gandy hosts cfobookshelf.com. His podcast and it's excellent. And now a word from our sponsors.
3: Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome.
2: It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
3: Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too.
0: We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
3: We are talking today with retired Professor Baruch Lev from New York University Stern Business School. And you were talking with Ron about uh, the impact on investors. And just to lead in, I, I do want to hear what you have to say about that. But one of the things that I is a constant uh, drone from some people that I talk to is, how is it that Tesla could be valued at over a trillion dollars? They don't make any money. <laughs> so, um, But clearly, the investors get it. So g- g- share, share with me what the, the impact of the book has been on investors.
1: So, uh, uh, investors, lots of investors uh, adopted uh, s- some aspects of what we were talking about, and particularly, particularly the adjustment for uh, intangibles. And uh, the example I want to give you was about uh, something which, uh, for many, many years, was the rage of investing. It's called value investing. Uh, which means, uh, which means that uh, if you invest in, in low valuation stocks, let's say stocks with low market-to-book value, uh, and sell short high valuation stocks, you're going to make uh, lots of money because uh, the low valuation stocks, some of them are low for good reasons; they are just lemons. But some of them are investors just uh, pessimistic about the company that had a loss or something like this. In time, there is this kind of a regression to the mean. Low prices go up, high prices go down, and you make money uh the big the big surprise was that in the last 15 20 years uh value investing uh was a losing proposition until today it is a losing proposition and i remember you know since i talk a lot to uh to hedge funds they they always ask me why is it what's the reason so with a co-author i published uh Uh, An article, uh, people can get it on SSRN, uh, what are the reasons for the recent uh, failure of value investing. It has more than than 10,000 downloads uh, in in, the last year. But uh, the point I want to make here is that we show in the book that if you adjust accounting numbers, value investing is usually measured, as I said, by by price to book price to earnings so the denominator is an accounting number if you adjust this accounting number to the expensing of intangibles which means you consider intangibles as assets you uh, uh, depreciate them but consider them as assets so they get into book value they affect earnings Uh, the gains from value investing uh, would have been more than tripled relative to taking accounting on uh, face value. So these types of of relatively simple adjustments, and in, in this paper we go through all the stages of how to do this thing, it's not very complicated really uh this thing was picked up significantly by uh, by uh, investors. lots of them are now adjusting book value, adjusting earnings, adjusting other accounting numbers to the this mindless expensing of uh, of uh, intangibles. So that's one thing that you can see and the other thing you can see and I'll be very brief about it is constant search for alternative, information sources, information sources mm-hmm. about value that uh, don't come from the accounting system. For example, I have a recent paper showing that uh, the, the, the rate of change in online job openings by companies uh, and, and our companies will provide you for, for price, will provide you on a daily basis uh, this thing the rate of change, either increasing advertisement for new jobs, decreasing advertisement is the best predictor of the future course of the company. Much better than earnings, much better than, than uh, sales uh, growth. Uh, this is really a reflection of managers view of the future. If they see growth coming, they, they just advertise for more positions. Uh, then uh, before you can be very granular uh, uh, here about what type of jobs they provide. So this, this is an example of a constant search of alternatives to accounting, which investors are increasingly uh, using. And that's why account, uh, account financial reports are less and less useful. Uh, there are better sources of information to make decisions.
3: Well, it sounds like your paper was far more downloaded than than the uh, the actual reports. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's a good leading indicator for you. Um, and I'm, I, Ron, is a, an accountant. I'm I'm not. So, forgive me if this is a, is, a as a layman's question. D- does some of this stuff that you're talking about the this uh, treating intangibles as uh, expenses or, or they, where they should be assets? Is that one of the reasons why companies like Tesla are perceived to be perceived to be overvalued compared to what would be what what traditionally would have been
1: uh, i'm not sure it's overvalued i mean no one can really uh, precisely or accurately say that something something is overvalued i mean M- amazon uh, uh amazon had losses for more than 10 consecutive years <laughs> And uh, I I have a good friend who teaches accounting in a major business school, and he opens, he teaches finance, and he opens the finance course by saying, uh, who would invest in a company that for the last 10 years declared losses? Uh, Some students look around if they are in the right room, (laughs) Somehow, somehow smiling. And he said, if you invested in such a company like Amazon, like Tesla, you would be a billionaire by now. So uh, indeed uh, the financial, they they seem not to make money by regular accounting measures. But if you consider most of their huge, huge investment in, in knowledge, in AI, in other things, as investments rather than expenses, uh, they make money. And so, uh, you know, about that uh, Tesla valuation is huge, but it 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 may be it may be right. They just got a huge huge order from Hertz, which which they claim they are not they are not able to supply immediately in this case.
3: So uh, uh, th- I think that's correct. I think, you know, what I would say is they per- they're they perceived to be overvalued, but I, yeah. clearly I think that's a mistake, right? Um, one of the things that the, the company that sponsors this, this podcast, uh, Sage, uh, we have uh, some accounting programs. And one of the things that we have been working on for the last number of years is artificial intelligence that would allow for what we're calling a continuous audit. But through AI, being able to find challenging transactions and, and things like that. Do you think that that's one of the other things that could happen that would make the audit, the annual audit, le- less, of less import?
1: There is no doubt about it. Artificial intelligence, machine learning are going to make a revolution there. Uh, I have a study published published about a year ago in insurance companies. And uh, the main expense of insurance companies, those who are not familiar with it, is what's called uh future losses so you you can you can buy a a cow uh insurance uh you pay the insurance and then the company when they when they uh, calculate earnings they have of course to decrease from the revenues that they get immediately at, forecast and expectation of how much they are going to pay in the future on this car insurance people can claim five years later that uh, they were injured and all of a sudden they have chronic headaches and and things like that uh, so this is a this is the major expense item that goes down that is subtracted from revenues these expectations uh, and you have those the uh, uh this number Uh, estimated by managers. We apply to the original data machine learning, which uses a huge amount of information, and we we make a horse race for, for all U.S. insurance companies. We make a horse race between the quality of managers' predictions and machine learning predictions. We have, of course, the actual uh payments uh because this is also provided in the financial report actual payments on, on, on over the last uh, 10 years so we have actuals we have two predictions it turns out that the prediction by machine learning is substantially better but not marginally substantially better than managers prediction of uh, future losses Uh, One of the reasons is that uh, managers uh, sometimes fudge the numbers (laughs) because because the lower the expectation of losses, the higher earnings that they uh, they report. Uh, One good thing about the machines is that they don't lie. They may be dumb, but they don't lie. Uh, so, so you can do wonders with uh, with with artificial intelligence, machine learning for audit and for for accounting itself and for investment.
3: Great stuff. Well, we're up against our second break. I want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. You can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows at the Soul of Enterprise. And as Ron mentioned earlier, our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash TSOE, bonus episodes as well as the show commercial free. But that Patreon channel is also sponsored by 90 Minds. If you need a mi- not mine, get one at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. <laughs>
0: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give
1: us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
3: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
4: Commercials, plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com TSOE. Subscribe now and be free. You're worth it.
3: Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor file. F Y L E. We saw
2: a demo of this thing and it's really awesome. It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. And yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
3: Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com.
0: This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome
2: back, everybody. We're here for the second time with Professor Baruch Lev, accounting professor at New York University. And Baruch, I want to ask you about an article you wrote that was published in Accounting Today, July 21st of this year titled The Sad State of Accounting Standards you conducted a study and <laughs> it's about earnings expectations and it, it just I thought it was a, another bombshell finding of yours can you explain what you found
1: Yeah you know I I'm, I'm I'm an empiricist uh, I've been all my life uh, an empiricist so I, I just look uh, look at data uh, the study you refer to uh, has to do or looks at uh, earnings of, uh, of uh, companies, published earnings, profits, uh, income, whatever you want to call it, of uh, companies. I constantly hear that uh, they are very relevant and they move market and investors look for them so i i I applied a test which is really a routine test in economics in uh, in uh, finance it's called the perfect foresight and i say looking looking back at data you can do such a thing i say suppose you could predict all the companies not a few but all the public u.s public companies that uh, will subsequently uh, either exactly meet analyst forecast or beat analyst forecast, which is a measure, maybe the measure of success of uh, companies. Suppose suppose you could predict all of them, like 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 twenty five hundred of them, three months before the publication of earnings, and if you could predict them perfectly, uh, you would invest in these companies three months before the earnings numbers, and you will unwind the investment after the earnings uh, announced. How much money will you make? This is the maximum. This is the ceiling of, of gains from, uh, from earnings in this case. You cannot do better than that. Of course, it's not practical, but as an exercise, it's interesting so that's what, that's what uh, uh, we did, and uh, we went, we went uh, 30, 40, maybe even 50 years back until uh, today. And you get an amazing result that in the 70s, 80s, uh, knowing uh, or good predictions of earnings would have made you lots of money. And this goes down and down and down. And today, you will hardly make anything. It's less than 1% on average. Such perfect knowledge, which will not even cover your transaction cost in this case. Uh, I I was astounded when I got from my co-author this result. And despite the fact that I have full confidence in him and I work with him for 25 years, I, I... I took two PhD students and I said, I want you to replicate it independently. I don't believe in this thing. And they they basically got got the same thing. Uh, Earnings are irrelevant, are just irrelevant, as simple as uh, uh, this. And then of course, the the interesting question uh, is is why. And the why I, I mentioned before is the treatment of intangibles this constant, constant increase in in uh, est- managerial estimates, guesstimates, uh, fair value accounting, uh, it, it makes the whole, despite the fact that a, a report now is like 250 pages, it's, it's not very useful. It's really not very useful.
2: Yeah, you know, you pointed out in that same article that two and a half trillion dollars was invested in, uh, I think it was 2019 in intangibles twice as much as physical assets for that year. Um, Baruch, I have to ask you, I mean, that that that's kind of a, a bombshell it tells me that if I want inside information from a company, don't talk to the CFO, maybe go to the HR, see how many job posts they're listing or something other than talking numbers, because th- that that's an astonishing finding, I think. And I, it just—it brings up a question. I'll ask you again. I asked you during a commercial break, but I just want our listeners to hear your answer to this. If—if if what you say is true, and I have no doubt that it is, would society be better off without auditors?
1: Uh, I want to be careful here. Uh, it's very easy to say yes or no. Uh, I don't know. Uh, This is something that you cannot test because in practically every economy in the world, particularly in in developed uh, economy, uh, auditing is mandatory. So you don't have these natural experiments that, you know, some eat this kind of bread and some eat another kind of bread, and then you know which one is preferred by, by consumers. Uh, My hunch is that since the underlying product that they are certifying uh, has decreased substantially in usefulness, uh, the auditing must also not be uh, very useful. So at the minimum, if I were uh, at the SEC, if I had some kind of legislative power, at the minimum, I would introduce uh, what's called a natural experiment. I mean, this is, this is now uh, quite frequent in legislation in many countries, and you learn a lot from uh, natural experiments. If I were at the SEC, I would, I would at random take, let's say, 10% of public companies or 5% of public companies and say rather than being audited uh, every quarter and year, they'll be audited once in two years. And then wait for five years or four years and see what, happened, what happens to these uh, companies. Uh, do, did they lose most of their investors? Did the stock price decrease significantly? Did their cost of capital increase significantly? My hunch is that nothing will happen. If uh, auditing will be uh, at least much less uh, frequent than uh, it is today, let's say once in three years uh, uh, in this case, but I, I cannot be sure. Do you think
2: that there are other uh, products that could take the place of an audit, such as financial statement insurance offered by insurance companies or having the stock exchanges uh, decide and pay for the audits of companies that they think need them for some reason.
1: I mean the main thing is the main thing is for uh, companies to provide better information. Uh, that's the thing that is needed. Uh, after all, managers uh, have much more information than investors. Uh, There is a huge, uh, naturally, there is a huge uh, information asymmetry uh, uh, in this case. Uh, Some of it is provided already. I don't know if I told you five years ago, but uh, before we published uh, The End of Accounting, I sent uh, the book, before it was published, of course, to 10, 12 people that I highly, highly regard their opinion. And uh, one of them, a CEO of a large company, called me and said, Baruch, I'm going to disappoint you. I mean, my, my heart sank. Uh, he's a very, uh, I would say, uh, uh, open, open person. Uh, I thought he's going to say uh, your book is bullshit. Uh, he didn't say it's bullshit, but he said, we know this. We CEOs know that information is not very useful. That's why we provide a huge amount of, of non gap non-accounting information, particularly in, uh, in conference calls. That's why conference calls are, are really so important, well-attended, affect markets uh, in this case. The only problem is that the information they provide voluntarily outside the accounting system is not systematic, is not standardized. So some pharmaceutical company will provide you information about the entire product pipeline, all the uh, uh, projects they are working on, where they are phase one clinical test, phase two clinical test, phase three clinical test. Some will provide you only with uh, top Uh, five top, uh, some real product, one year, five top, other year, top three. Uh, Making some order here with respect to all this non-accounting information, some kind of uniformity within industry, some kind of standardization, will improve the situation significantly. Managers know this, they provide lots of information, they need some templates uh, to have it more systematic, more consistent from year to year.
2: I'm curious, Baruch, with it, with, with this knowledge that you have, and and uh, the the continuing, I guess I would say, irrelevance of auditing or these financial reports. What advice would you give to an aspiring college student that wanted to become a CPA?
1: Uh I doubt whether I'll I'll, I'll advise someone to be a CPA. I mean, I was a CPA. I was a practicing CPA. I ran away from this profession. I know that I'm now going to uh, hurt uh, the feelings of a few of your listeners. That's okay. But but I I didn't find the work uh, fulfilling. I didn't find the work uh, uh, interesting. So I, I, I'm not sure I, I'll advise a young person to become a CPA.
2: Wow. Wow. Um, real quick, we've only got about a minute, maybe two. Why are you skeptical with respect to ESG standards? You, you had made a comment in the article in Accounting Today about being skeptical about it.
1: I, I want to make, uh, maybe we can continue after the break with this because it's a very important point. Okay. Uh, but I want, I want to make uh, one point important uh, that I think most people are not aware of. Uh, if you evaluate performance of someone, let's say performance of CEOs, uh, this evaluation is, is useful if it's based on one criterion. Uh, the criterion can be sales growth, the criterion can be uh uh let's say market uh, share return something like this and then you know you you compare the performance of one company with peers with the past this is a useful uh performance evaluation which is of course the major objective of uh, financial report once you add Another criteria, let's say now you tell, you tell CEOs uh, you are going to be evaluated by sales growth and carbon emission. And this whole performance evaluation breaks down because if sales growth is negative, uh, the CEO will say, yes, but no, look at my like carbon cr- emission. It is, it is a positive contribution. And since you never know the trade-off between the two, how much uh, improvement in carbon emission is worth 2% of lower sales growth, uh, the the whole evaluation system breaks down. ESG is not two, it's many criteria, and most of them are very, very poorly measured. And that's, that's really the, the secret, the reason why managers are so enthusiastic about ESG. Once you evaluate the performance of ESG, you can never nail them down. You tell them, listen, sales are down, we were down last year. They said, oh, this is nothing. But our contribution to the community is up significantly. So what are you going to tell them? Uh, it breaks down. So the whole idea of investors or someone from the outside evaluating performance breaks down when something like, like ESG uh, comes into, into play. There are, of course, many, many other problems that we can talk about, but this is one thing that people have to keep in mind.
2: Right. Well, that's a brilliant point, Baruch. Thank you so much. Maybe Ed will follow up with you on that. But folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
3: Ron, let's take a minute and talk about our new sponsor, File, F-Y-L-E. We saw a demo of this thing, and it's really awesome.
2: It really is. It allows complete flexibility. You can use any program to submit your expenses. I found that completely liberating. Yeah, and of course, it integrates with all of the accounting software out there. Yeah, and they really nailed their pricing. They use a flat pricing system, so you don't pay for all your employees, only the ones that actually file their expense reports.
3: Yep, so check them out at FileHQ.com. That's F-Y-L-E-H-Q.com.
4: hearing me plug ron and ed's book which totally makes sense like the diamond water paradox go to patreon.com tsoe and subscribe today please for the love of god
0: make it stop we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. From
3: the article in Accounting Today, Barucholev writes, Consider, for example, the rush of investors to ESG-intensive companies. Whatever you think of the environmental, social, and governmental reporting, and I have my doubts, it is a reliable information system which will report to the investment in ESG particularly on trade-offs and that was just the point that you were making with Ron uh, I love when authors of articles have parentheticals near the end of the article because it's clear that you have a whole nother article <laughs> 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 that, that you could so 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 keep going on ESG and and the, and the other challenges with it.
1: Uh, there are lots of issues with ESG. First of all, uh, people who sell it, and it, it's being sold extremely aggressively, and I would say uh, successfully, uh, they really don't tell you the truth. Uh, they, uh, they, they somehow, uh, not somehow, they explicitly lead you to believe that ESG is the best of all world. Uh, It's good for investors, it's good for society, it's good for environment, nothing in life can be good for uh, everything uh, in this case. So I'll just give you one example. Uh, During uh, COVID, first quarter of uh, uh, 2020, uh, ESG funds did better than uh, other funds. So, the ESG promoters, and there are many of those, jumped on this idea and said ESG was a COVID vaccine, shell vaccine, and uh, this. Uh, The Wall Street Journal pointed out uh, quite immediately, and I was really. Uh, it really surprised me how quickly they picked up on it, that ESG funds uh, were basically investing heavily in technology stocks. So what made the great imp- uh, great uh, performance was not the ESG, but the, te- the technology stocks that uh, they had. But uh, I had a study with the uh, three co-authors, a very, very extensive study. Uh, people can find it on, on SSRN. It was called ESG didn't immunize stocks during the COVID-19 crisis, and we show that if you take if you take into account the basic value drivers of the company, the industry in which the company uh, is in, investment in intangible assets, then ESG has absolutely no effect on the performance of the stock. Now this doesn't say that ESG uh, shouldn't be practiced, but it's not affecting the stocks of a company. It's not affecting the performance of uh, uh, the company. Uh, so there are lots of lots of myths around around uh, ESG things that are, are really really incorrect. Maybe it's worthwhile to spend money on other. Uh, 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 objectives, but uh, you don't get the best of all words in this case. Regarding one point that uh, somehow is is the theme of our meeting here, and that's uh, disclosure by by a company, uh, just last week, the International Accounting Standards Board uh, issued guidelines on sustainability reporting. And uh, this, was, this was defined by a, a Forbes reporter as an earthquake, the biggest thing since 39. Uh, and I'll, I'll just give you, given our, our shortage in time, I'll give you one example. Uh, one item that they claim that uh, companies should disclose is, and I, I quote verbatim, disclose a complete neutral and accurate depiction of an entity's significant sustainability risk or opportunities uh, i claim that this is completely unknowable by investors just think about nike think about exxon i mean how how in the world can they know Uh, And, and, and they have to be accurate about it. They have to be complete about it, not just give an estimate. Uh, What are the significant risks of, uh, of uh, sustainability, opportunity of sustainability? It depends on thousands of things that will happen in the future uh, that are completely unknowable. This, this, if it's going to be a systematic reporting system, uh, we'll just be a monster of another 200 pages of platitudes of companies trying to show that they are good, virtue signaling. But it, it won't provide any useful information to uh, investors. It will, be, it will be really a waste of time.
3: Well, just what you read is it just sounded to me like a word salad, is what it sounded like. There was not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how you could even understand what that meant, and then, oh, by the way, be accurate about it.
1: <laughs> be accurate. Be accurate. <laughs> and complete. And complete. And complete. Accurate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Brooke, it's been a pleasure having you on. I, I don't want to ask you another question because we, we, we I don't want to, to, to have you uh, run out of time. But are are you are you are you working on some other things? Uh, is there going to be some more from
1: you? I'm working uh, one one very interesting study. That, yeah, yeah. One okay. big thing. One big thing is uh, the the thing that really was my first research, like fifty years ago. I'm going back to mergers and acquisitions. Uh, with a co-author, we have uh, we have a huge sample of thirty thousand thirty thousand acquisitions, and we are going to go systematically over over arguments uh, that are made about mergers and acquisitions, and we determine empirically whether they are true or not true. For example. Uh, we don't,
3: I'm sorry. We're not going to have time for the example, yeah. but okay. <laughs> we oh. look forward to the article or book that you're, you're reading on it. It's going to be, be fun, fun for us to to d- dive into that when it comes out. Uh, Professor Baruch thanks so much for being guest on the soul of enterprise. Ron, what do we got coming up next week?
2: I don't know, Ed, you tell me. I, <laughs> You don't know, Ron. Do You're supposed know. to know
3: these things. No, we have Matthew Feeney from the Cato Institute to talk ah. about drone and drone policy. So we're on to an, another subject further down the I-95 car- corridor. We were at uh, in Boston last week, so we're working our way down to Washington. All right, Thanks well, Ron, on. I'll see you in 167 hours.
2: This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. You also, you can contact me or Ed at ask, T-S-O-E, at Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.
1: Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success.